Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Save Me an Isle Seat, the show that talks about musicals in an understandable and relatable way. I'm Katie, and I'm joined by my fellow musical enthusiasts, Amber and Kylie. Hi. Hello. Also joining us is our musical newbie, Matt. Hello. And on this week's episode, we are going over the show Spring Awakening. We are going to be focusing on the 2006 original Broadway cast recording, which is on Spotify, and we will link in the show notes as usual. However, before we get into this one, we do have to stress a heavy mama warning. Yeah. This one is not kid-friendly, and and we give the triggers of child abuse, suicide, medical malpractice, and lots of talk slash acts of sex. Mm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> still, we feel the show has a good message and is a good listen, but make your own judgment on if you'd like to continue. We will not be offended if you choose not to. So a little bit of background about this show. Spring Awakening is a coming-of-age rock musical with music by Duncan Sheik and book and lyrics by Stephen Sater. It is based on the 1891 German play of the same name by Frank Wittelkind. Duncan Sheik composed some demo songs in the 1990s with a musical more closely resembling the play, and it has changed and adapted throughout the years. In terms of productions, so during a seven-year period, the show went through many workshops and rewrites before premiering off-Broadway at the Atlantic Theatre Company on May 19, 2006, and ran through August 5, 2006. It opened on Broadway at the Eugene O'Neill Theatre on December 10, 2006, and closed on January 18, 2009, after 859 performances and 29 previews. So it did relatively well. This show starred Jonathan Groff, Leah Michelle, and John Gallagher Jr. in the three main roles. The cast recording was released on December 12, 2006, which is the one we are going off of. It went on a U.S. tour, stopping once in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and ran from August 15, 2008, and closed May 23, 2010. A non-equity tour ran from October 14, 2010 to May 15, 2011. It opened in London on January 23, 2009 and closed on May 30, 2009. In 2015, there was a Broadway revival that began previews on September 8, 2015 and officially opened on September 27, 2015 and then closed on January 24, 2016. There is currently a 2021 London revival that opened at the Almeida Theatre in London and is expected to run until January 29, 2022. So, it's over now. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you just missed it. I just looked at what date was. It's over now. So <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so, as far as I know, it closed on January 29th, 2022. <laughs> it is February. I know what day it is. <laughs> I mean, time's weird in these uh, COVID worlds. Time is weird. In terms of international productions, it has been to Sweden, Finland, Hungary, Austria, Malta, Japan, Brazil, the Czech Republic, Australia, Argentina, Wales, and the UK. There was a 15th anniversary reunion benefit concert celebrating Spring Awakening on November 15th, 2021 at the Imperial Theatre in New York with funds going to the Actors Fund. This included all original cast members, so that's really cool and I'm sad we missed it. Very, very cool. Not that we would have been able to go, but you know. Dream world. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were there in spirit. <laughs> right. Uh, so as far as some film and TV tidbits for you, so Spring Awakening was featured in an episode of 90210, although the amateur production rights were not available at the time. It was also part of an award-winning documentary series, Working in the Theater, and in the 2018 television series, Rise. There have been talks of a film adaptation in April 2009, with updates in 2010, 2012, 2013, 2014. However, there is clearly still no <laughs> film adaptation, so I don't know. I guess we'll so see. we don't know. <laughs> maybe someday, maybe not. I don't know. We'll keep our eye out for you. Yeah, if we hear anything, we'll let you know. 
And then as far as awards, so the 2007 production won eight Tony Awards, four Drama Desk Awards, two Lucille Lordel Awards, two Drama League Awards, one Theatre World Award, one New York Drama Critics Circle Award, three Out Critics Circle Awards, one Obie Award, and the 2008 album won a Grammy Award. Ooh! So, yeah. It won things. It's shiny, and that tired me out. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Also, the London production. The London production won the 2009 Critics Circle Theatre Award and four Laurence Olivier Awards. The 2015 Broadway Revival won six Ovation Awards. Then in 2016, it won one Drama League Award, two Theatre World Awards, and one Outer Critics Circle Award. So. All the things. Yeah, like we gave it a lot of warnings, but the show is a good show. Yeah. It's obviously recognized as such as well, so that's cool. Yeah. So let's go ahead and hop into our act one. So we open on late 19th century Germany, where we meet Wendla Berman. She is an adolescent who laments that her mother didn't teach her the things she needs to know as a young woman in the song Mama Who Bore Me. She wants to know where babies come from, since she's about to be an aunt for the second time. Her mother can't bring herself to teach her daughter these things, despite knowing Wendla is reaching puberty. Instead, she tells Vendela that babies come from loving one's husband with all their heart. Nope. Because that can't backfire at all. Nope. Never. Never. Hmm. The other girls in town, Marta, Thea, Anna, and Ilsa, also seem to be upset about their lack of knowledge as well in the song Mama Who Bore Me reprise. At school, some students are studying Virgil, a Roman poet, in Latin class. Moritz Stifel, who is already a nervous and anxious young man, misquotes a line and gets in trouble by the teacher. His friend Melior, who is rebellious and intelligent, tries to defend him, but the teacher hits him with a stick. Oh. Hmm. Melchior reflects on the shallow, narrow-mindedness of school and society and wants to change things in the song All That's Known. Moritz describes a dream that's been keeping him up at night, and Melchior realizes that Moritz has been having sexual dreams, which Moritz actually believes are a sign of insanity. Uh, oh. <laughs> hmm. Nice. Melchior, who has already learned about sexual things from books, assures him that all boys their age get dreams like that. The other boys, Ernst, Hanshin, Otto, and Georg, share their own sexually frustrated desires and thoughts in the song The Bitch of Living. Which is a great song, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moritz, who is super uncomfortable by this, asks that he get the information via an essay complete with illustrations. Oh. <laughs> I would like to do the research, please. <laughs> Listen, if you gotta learn, you gotta learn. Yeah. All the girls, except Ilsa, gather after school and tease each other as they fantasize about marrying the boys in town. Marta admits that she has a crush on Moritz, but the other girls make fun of her. The other girls all agree that Melior is at the top of the list in the song My Junk. Melior does write the essay for Moritz, and Moritz reads it, but is upset that all it does is make his dreams more vivid and torturous. Melior tries to comfort him, but Moritz runs off in frustration. So all the boys and girls express their desires for physical intimacy in the song Touch Me. While Vendela is out searching for flowers for her mother, she runs into Melior. The two reminisce about the friendship they shared as children. Each of them considers what it would be like to give into their physical desires for each other in the song The Word of the Body, but they don't, because that would be inappropriate. (laughs) We just don't. Meanwhile, at school, Moritz sneaks a peek at his test results and is thrilled to learn he passed his midterm, so he tells the other boys. They are all ecstatic for him except the skeptical Hanshin. However, the teacher and schoolmaster still decide to fail Moritz because he can't pass everyone and his grades aren't up to the school's standards. Which, like, what kind what of the heck? backwards thinking? <laughs> you passed, but what? you fail anyway. <laughs> we hate you, so you're not gonna go anywhere. Oh, jeez. So stupid. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, uh, Marta accidentally admits to her friends that her father abuses her physically and sexually, and that her mother is either oblivious <clears throat> or uncaring. Just accidentally. Just, yeah, wow. just mentions it. They're like... gonna need so much therapy. <laughs> the other girls are horrified by this, as they should be, but she makes them promise not to tell anyone. She doesn't want to end up like Ilsa, their childhood friend who was kicked out of her house due to a similar abusive household situation in the song The Dark I Know Will. Which is awful to think about. Listen, this group is struggling. <laughs> uh, yeah. Later, Vanilla runs into Melior again. She tells him about Marta's abuse, which, why would you tell other people that? I know. <laughs> oh like, my God. Yo, I heard the craziest stuff today. Oh, man. <laughs> Melior is, of course, appalled by this, and Vanilla somehow convinces him to hit her with a switch so that she can understand Marta's pain. He's originally against um... it, but he complies. Gets um, real weird real fast. Yes, because Melior gets a little too into the beating, taking his frustrations out on her and throws her to the ground. Oh. <coughs> He's disgusted with himself and runs off, leaving Vendela lying on the ground, crying. Vendela finds that Melior left his journal behind and she picks it up and takes it with her. Ooh. Dun dun dun. A lot of things just happened. <laughs> yeah. That's putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moritz is told that he has failed his final exam and his father reacts poorly when Moritz tells him. His father is only concerned with how the town will react when they see the man with the son who failed. Which, get over yourself, first of all. Man, does everybody, like, suck in this story? Sounds like it. All the adults do. Yeah, that's that's what I bet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Moritz writes to Melchior's mother, his only adult friend, asking for money so that he may flee to America. She tenderly but firmly denies his requests and promises to write his parents to discourage them from being too hard on him. In a song, and then there were none. Moritz is devastated by this refusal and contemplates suicide. Jesus. Yeah. Meanwhile, in a hayloft during a storm, Melchior expresses his frustration at being stuck between childhood and adulthood. In the song, The Mirror Blue Night. Vendla finds him there and wants to return his journal. They both apologize for the night before. Melchior is upset at himself for the night before and urges her to leave. She ignores this and suggests they just, you know, have fun and run in the rain. The two begin to kiss, but begin to hesitate as things escalate, knowing what they are doing is something powerful. Vendela, however, is not entirely sure what they are about to do, but is certain it is unlike anything that she has ever known before. And they proceed to have sex in the hayloft in the song, I believe. Nice. Oh. Yeah. A note, this scene was changed from the off-Broadway run, where it was ambiguous about Vendela's consent, which yikes. Oof. In the Broadway version, she gives explicit consent to Melchior, even though she doesn't fully understand what they're actually about to do. So they kind of- Not yeah. actual consent then, but okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but, sure. More than it was, I guess. Extra, extra note. Sheik originally wrote it as Vendla getting raped, oh. but decided he wanted a more loving interaction between the two. So, uh-huh. better? Um, okay. So I'm glad they changed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not good. Big no boy. Yeah. But with this passionate encounter between two um, young folks, we are in our intermission. Mm. Wow. How do we feel about Act 1? <laughs> Um, it um, is a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is a lot. And it's it's so bizarre because listening to the music, you don't realize how serious like the characters are feeling because mm-hmm. it's very, it's, you know, upbeat pop rock, yeah. you know? And then like you listen to the lyrics and you're like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like that kind of music. 
Is it, um, is it like listening to Pumped Up Kicks, where you're like, oh, yes. this is a funky song, and then you listen to the lyrics, and you're like, um, <laughs> Oh no, we need to not. <laughs> Can I take it back? Pretty much. Like, yeah, again, it's, you know, very, very upbeat most of the time, and they're singing about, you know, being terrified as young adults, not knowing what the heck's going on in their lives. Yeah, it's a great time. It's actually, it's phenomenal music. I really enjoyed it. But when I started writing the script, I was like, oh, oh, well then. <laughs> a lot a lot to uh, take in for the first act, for sure. But strap on your boots, because we still have a whole other act. I'm slightly worried about that. As you should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually uh, things that start off this hard crank up to 11 pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. But um, before we do that, how about some intermission stuff, Skyly? Okay. The 2015 Broadway revival cast was made up of both hearing and deaf hard of hearing actors who performed the show in American Sign Language and English simultaneously. The deaf and hard of hearing actors were paired with hearing actors who voiced the roles. The revival focused on making theater and Broadway accessible to people with disabilities. Woo! It also featured the first Broadway performer to use a wheelchair, Allie Stroker, and was the first Broadway production to provide interpretation for deaf-blind theater goers. Ooh. On January 15, 2016, the producers of Spring Awakening, in association with the Broadway League, presented a symposium, symposium titled How to Make Broadway More Accessible, featuring members of the disability community and a keynote address from Timothy Shriver, chairman of the Special Olympics. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool to learn because I know when I was growing up watching theater, like the Muni has their own interpreters. So I always kind of like took that for granted because we would go on a specific day where they would be there because it's really cool to watch. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize like where it actually started. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. Also, interestingly enough, I watched, there's a show called Big River. It's based on Huckleberry Finn. It played at the Fox some years ago and they actually did this as well. They had, you know deaf hard of hearing actors paired with voiced actors who would like they were like up in the rafters and they were doing the signage on the main level so it was like really really cool and very beautiful that sounds cool yeah yeah and um i believe i don't remember when it was but i i want to say it was actually before this show yeah but super cool i wish more theaters would do that yeah yeah theater definitely needs to get a little more accessible i'll give it that because a lot of theaters even struggle to have seats for people in wheelchairs. Right. And with, you know, mobility issues and things like that. So that's a problem. And then, mm -hmm. you know, only certain shows, like certain show times have interpreters at some theaters. Like it's not even all of them. So there's that. Right. And it's... Yeah, like the Muni only has it one night a week. Yeah. yeah. And I get that that might be hard to staff, but it's something that you need to provide in an industry like this. So mm -hmm. Broadway's getting there. We are here for it. Yeah, for sure. I can't wait to see what Broadway continues to do as it grows. And Allie Stroker is awesome. I've seen her in... She's actually been in some TV yes. shows and stuff, too. So I've seen her in some other stuff, and she's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yay. Yay, accessibility. Yeah. Necessary accessibility. So I don't know if I have a pun for Act 2. I don't know if you could get a pun. We're going to get there. Eh. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think that was the only one you could do. Uh, yeah, unless unless I want to amp it up to 11, but I don't, don't particularly yeah, do it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the inspiration it. is kind of lacking on this one. Yeah. Um, how about we discover ourselves in Act 2? Nope. That's yeah. safe. Yeah, for good. Is it? <laughs> no? You don't like that one? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. 
Listen, I could say we we can climax our way into yeah, Act 2. Would you prefer that? <laughs> <laughs> no. Let's do some do in Act 2. <laughs> do what? some do. That one I hate, thanks. You're welcome. No, I hate no, it. no, 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 no. <laughs> Kelly's out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well, Act 2, either way. Here we go. Again, strap on your boots. Vendela and Melchior finish their moment of confused intimacy, and they reflect and discuss on what just happened. Moritz, who has been thrown out of his home, wanders around town carrying a pistol. Just cause. Mm-hmm. That's what oh. you do. Yep. He comes across Ilsa, who it is implied has feelings for him. She tells Moritz about an artist's colony that has given her refuge, and they reminisce in some childhood memories. Ilsa tries to convince Moritz to come home with her for more memories and maybe something more. <laughs> However, Moritz refuses, and she does everything she can to change his mind in the song Don't Do Sadness slash Blue Wind. Moritz tells Ilsa he really wishes he could go with her, but still leaves her, distraught and upset. He realizes she was the last chance he had to escape his fate. Moritz calls after her, but she is already gone. It's too late. Thinking he has nowhere else to turn, Moritz shoots himself. <laughs> wow. At Moritz's funeral, each of the children drops a flower onto his grave and lament about his passing, the song The Guilty Ones. They talk about the factors of his death, including the way his parents treated him, and how the school treated him, and it was just great. And this takes place in the song Left Behind. Back at school, the schoolmaster feels the need to call attention away from Moritz, whose death was definitely a direct result from their actions. <laughs> Jerks. They search through Moritz's belongings and find the essay on sex that Melchior wrote. They use this as an excuse for his death and lay the blame on Melchior. Mm. Wow. Classy. Melchior knows it's not his fault, but he can't do anything and is expelled. The song, totally fucked. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You are correct. <laughs> Factual statement. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere that night, Hanshin meets up with Ernst, who is shy and delicate. Ernst tells him he wants to become a pastor after school, and Hanshin shares his pragmatic outlook on life. Hanshin is surprised that Ernst is still so innocent, despite the horrible things happening around them. The two kiss, and Ernst reveals he loves Hanshin. In the song, The World of Your Body, reprise. That's gay. Uh-oh. Gay. Super gay. I'm here for it. Can they handle it? <laughs> um, in this world, if anyone finds out, they probably Right. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. So, Vendla becomes ill, and her mother takes her to visit a doctor. He gives her some medication and tells him that she's just suffering from anemia. It's no big deal. <laughs> but then the doctor pulls the mother aside and tells her that Vendla is actually pregnant aunt. Pregnant. 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 Oh. We were lightening the situation. I just love to say pregnant aunt. <laughs> Can I get pregante? <laughs> ah. <laughs> Vendela's mother confronts her about this, and Vendela is completely shocked, not really understanding how that could happen, because, you know, no one ever really told her about this, so she doesn't she really know what's happening. She wasn't taught. She realizes that her mother lied about how babies are made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Red shirt. I mean... Vendela berates her mother for leaving her ignorant, but her mother rejects the guilt and insists that Vendela tell her who the child's father is. Vendela reluctantly gives her mother a passionate note Melior wrote after they slept together. Oh. Vendela reflects on her situation and how she got there, but is optimistic about her future child in the song Whispering. Meanwhile, Melior's parents are arguing about their son's fate. 
The mother doesn't believe the essay he wrote is a good enough reason to send him away to reform school. Fair. Melio's father tells his wife about Venva's pregnancy, and she agrees they must send him away. Not fair. And they do this without telling him that Venva is pregnant. Because, of course. They of suck. Of course they would. During this time, Melior and Vendla keep contact through letters delivered by Ilsa. And then at school, Melior gets into a fight with some boys. They grab the letter from Vendla and use it in a masturbation game. Gross. Which, oh. no, I don't know what that means. And I did I not look it up. I, I don't I don't say think we... Not. I don't think anybody Yeah, we can know. just leave it there. <laughs> they just did gross yep. things. Thanks. Goodbye. <laughs> One of the boys reads the letter from Vendla out loud, and Melior learns about their child. And so he escapes the institution to find her. Dun, dun, dun. Yay! Meanwhile, unfortunately, Vendla, who is terrified and clueless, is taken to a back alley abortionist by her mother. Because oh. all adults Jeez. in the story suck butt. Yep. Melior reaches town a few days later and sends a message to Ilsa to have Vendla meet him at the cemetery at midnight. Ilsa can't take any action, however, as Melchior hasn't heard about Vendela. Ilsa shows Anna, Marta, and Thea the letter, and they are equally horrified, deciding not to tell Melchior about what happened. Which, yeah. At the cemetery, Melchior stumbles upon Moritz's grave and swears to him that he and Vendela will raise their child in a compassionate and open environment. When Vendela is late to their meeting, Melchior wanders the graveyard and finds a fresh grave he hadn't noticed before. On the stone is written Vendela, and he realizes she died from a botched abortion. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Overwhelmed by shock and grief, he takes a razor out with the intent to kill himself. Vendela and Moritz's spirits rise from their graves to offer him strength, persuading him to journey on and carry their memories with him forever in the song Those You've Known. Led by Ilsa, everyone assembles on stage to sing about how although the adults may still call the shots with their uptight views, they will not last forever, and the seeds are already being planted for a new, open-minded, informed generation in the song, The Song of Purple Summer. The end. God. Yeah. Turn that dial up. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Yeah. Uh... Also, a uh, interesting note that I did not put in here, but in some versions of the show... When everyone comes out on stage, they are dressed in modern day clothing to kind of insinuate that change has already happened and that, you know, things are getting better and the, you know, the youth is speaking up and stuff like that. And I, I kind of like that idea. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So that is the show. Now that we're all sad, how do we feel? Sad. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Accurate. Yeah. So this, this show is a lot, but again, like, I feel like it has a really good message and the music is really good and the story is really compelling and yes it's sad but <laughs> it's got a strong message with it yeah yeah it's not just sad for the sake of being sad it's like next to normal where this one doesn't technically get a happy ending because you can't really fathom a happy ending and still get the same message mm -hmm. so i still appreciate it for that i like the idea that um obviously melchior did not kill himself so he can you know continue teaching the next generation and things like that. I really like that he lived, obviously. Right. But I, d yeah, I don't think the show could have worked with a, f a fully happy ending. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be somebody out there that enjoys people being miserable. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people, people like that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, overall, I, I like the show. I really think that everyone should listen to it because the music is really good. Again, it's that pop rock kind of music. It's uh, really enjoyable. And... <laughs> the bitch of living gets stuck in my head all the time. 
They did perform a mashup of a few of their songs at one of the Tony Awards. I mm-hmm. recommend you look that up as well because you get like a little snippet of their their main title songs and uh, it's really nice. Yes. I'll probably link that in our blog post for this one on our website. So go check that out. Nice. Wow. Yeah, it's a very intense story. Definitely not for everybody. Yes. And yeah, that's why we, we led with the trigger warnings and things like that because this one isn't to be taken lightly. And I think you should know what you're getting into before you actually, like, go see the show. But I bet it is uh, really powerful to see on stage. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's going to be all that we have for this episode. Alrighty. Be sure to like and subscribe to us wherever you are listening to podcasts. This ensures that you get our episodes as soon as they are posted. And it's just really nice. And it gives us strength. (laughs) It gives us strength. You fuel us. To to carry on. Your helpful reviews also give us strength. So if you happen to be on Apple or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. Yeah, we really like those. And the best way to help us is through word of mouth. So please tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, even some uptight teachers, if you feel like it, so we can get to a wider audience. Yeah. And if you'd like to chat with us about this show or any others, because you can recommend shows to us, you can email us at savemanasi at gmail.com. Or you can find us all over the interwebs. We are on Facebook at Save Me Seat. We're on Twitter at Save and Seat. We're on Instagram at Save Me Seat. And we're on YouTube under the Ragtag Network. All over the place. You can't escape us. For more shows and to keep updated on everything that we've got going on, you can go to our website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. It's where you can find, you know, other shows that we are a part of and are hosting as well. So that's pretty cool. Also, we want to remind you that we are coming up on our 100th episode ooh, ooh. and our two-year anniversary is here in a couple ooh, days. Ooh. So that's awesome. Woo-hoo. Woo! So we are super looking for recommendations from you guys to fit into our, at least our like 100 episode mark so we can get some like listener listener recommendations in there. So if you have any shows that you would like to recommend to us, the best way probably is through our email, which again, that is at savemeanisleseat at gmail.com. But you can reach us at any of our socials if you have some ideas for us. We'd really appreciate it. But anyway, I think that'll wrap up this episode of Save Me an Isle Seat. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Save Me an Isle Seat. If you'd like to support us, you can check out our Ko-Fi at www.ko-fi.com slash ragtagnetwork. For more episodes and shows like this, go to our website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. This show is brought to you by the Ragtag Network.